on this week's episode of the Insure Tech Geek Podcast, episode number one of our new podcast series, talking all things insurance tech. InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technologies that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives with our own research and development team in technology that we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. Everybody, I'm your insure tech geek, James Benham, here with JB Knowledge, here to talk to you about all things insurance tech. Now, I've been a podcaster for the last four years. Um, this company, JB Knowledge, uh, we've been in business about 18 years. We work in two industries, construction and insurance. I've been podcasting over in construction for four years, and I've been super eager to come over into the insure tech space and talk about something I've worked in even longer than construction. That's insurance technology. It's an exciting industry. There's a lot going on, and it's hard to figure out how it impacts you. I work with some of the uh, bigger companies in the insurance space and some of the smaller companies in the insurance space, and it can be really challenging for them to sort out all the tech that's coming and sort out buzzwords from action items and to figure out what they should actually be looking at, experimenting with, and working on. So the goal of this podcast is to get you up to speed. Now, maybe you're already up to speed. Maybe you're one of those insure tech geeks out there that's got this all figured out. Our goal is to entertain you immensely and connect you with some great new people that we're going to interview on this show. But hopefully, there's a bunch of you out there who have something to learn, and we're going to talk about some fascinating technology. We're going to cover stuff like predictive analytics, chatbots and artificial intelligence, robotics, RPA, telematics and wearables, portals, EDI, one of my favorite topics, blockchain. We're going to cover a bunch of different technology. Now, we're going to mix this up between discussions uh, and interviews with people out in the insurance space, people in the insure tech space, and uh, just as interesting, our own research and development team. Uh, if you don't know who we are, uh, JB Knowledge is a 205-person, roughly, insurance uh, technology company headquartered out of Bryan College Station, Texas. And if you don't know where that is, it is home of the world's finest institute of higher education, Texas A&M. And you'll hear me talk about that uh, probably to a level that will irritate people who are in the Southeastern Conference. But nonetheless, uh, that is where we are uh, headquartered. We've been working in the insurance business for about a decade and a half and uh, started out in the property inspection business uh, for underwriting inspections and then moved into uh, the general property and casualty business, then got into uh, over into to really detailed into work comp, and then jumped up into the pharmacy and pharmacy benefit management space. And we've really gotten to explore and build technology around a whole bunch of different sectors in the insurance space for the last decade and a half. And, and through it have seen an incredible amount of automation go into place. And not just automation, but true innovation in the way that we're insuring um, things, people, companies. Uh, it's been really, really transformative 
uh, for the industry in the last 15 years and what's going on now, the last three or four years, we've seen just an explosion in funding for insure tech startups. We've seen an explosion in companies that are trying to bootstrap their way into the space. We've seen companies that are in uh, traditional insurance companies starting their own venture funds or dramatically expanding their venture funds and investing, starting their own companies. So there's just an incredible amount of innovation out there. Let's just jump right in to some of the topics that I think are really of interest and that I think that uh, you'll find interesting as we go through this. And this will be a weekly show as we go through interviewing people and talking about these different uh, segments. Predictive analytics is arguably one of the hotter buzz phrases in the insurance space. And well, it can be a, a confusing topic to talk about. I meet with a lot of insurance executives and they'll toss this phrase around. And, and I found that very few of them could actually really properly uh, defining it. So, I mean, this is, this is a, a field of practice that when executed properly, and we're going to interview some people here in the very near future that I believe are really setting it on fire in predictive analytics, can not tell you what will happen in the future, but will help you extract information from all these data sets we've been gathering to look at patterns and try to uh, assign a probability, a better probability to future outcomes. There's a, a phrase that we use uh, pretty often uh, here at JB Knowledge, uh, give me facts, not feelings. Let's look at the facts. Let's look at the data behind it because gut instinct can really lie to you. Um, we built a a really interesting system uh, several years ago that benchmark workers' compensation claims. And we were, we were helping TPAs benchmark their claim performance against a broader data universe. And that way they could figure out how good they were at lowering the cost of risk, right? Keeping claim costs down, uh, getting workers back to work quicker. Of course, the, you know, the bigger objectives, uh, you want to make sure people get back and get healthy quickly and uh, that they can do so in a cost-effective manner. And so we were trying to figure out the, the, the ultimate question almost everybody wants to know in insure tech, and that's causality, right? Like what causes expensive claims? In that particular case, what causes expensive work comp claims? And it was interesting as we dove into the data how our assumptions about what caused claim costs to go up we're really blown apart by the data once we started looking at correlation. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ruin the surprise. We're gonna talk about this uh, later in a different episode. But once you really start looking at all the data points you can possibly collect, and then you start looking at the correlation between those data points, and then of course, you know, correlation doesn't equal causality. So you got to figure out: is there just a correlation here? You know, for example, you look at a data set and, and you see that there's a bunch of people who, you know, eat red apples. And uh, it turns out a lot of those people also like to scratch their head. Eating red apples doesn't necessarily mean they scratch their head. This might be correlation, might not be causality. As we dove into these data sets, we found a lot of correlation and some causality that really challenged our assumptions about what drove work comp claims up. And that's where we're going to dive with predictive analytics is try and look at what's truly predictive analytics and what's a system that someone is just taking what they have in their head and systematizing it into a piece of software where it's really human assumptions, not data-driven machine uh, arrived at assumptions. And so that, that's what we're going to look at with predictive analytics. So some really neat things that you can do around this space. And it's an area of a lot of innovation right now. We got, we got a great interview on that one coming up. Because we're trying to move away from linear traditional models and you know move into a completely new way of looking at data and segmenting our, our data. Chatbots and AI. 
this is another area that there's a lot of discussion around. And some people in the insurance space are actively putting this into practice. I have seen chatbots actually being effectively used. I have also been to many insurance and insurance technology conferences where I have been told that someone has a chatbot. And then what I'm really presented with is a text interface where you pick menu options. And, and that kind of reminds me, uh, just a little bit of personal background for those of you who have never have never met me. I'm uh, I'm 40, so I was, I was born in 1979. Great year to be born. Uh, I turned uh, 11 and, and 12 and then got a, a my first computer and started writing code. And I started writing software in uh, GW Basic. That was the very first programming language I ever, I ever wrote software in. And then I wrote stuff in Turbo Pascal and Fortran and C and C++ and Assembly. And and when we first started writing code a long time ago, we had text interfaces where it was, you know, it was a linear text interface and it would present you options and you would type the number that you wanted. So when I see chatbots that are are functionally what I used to build when I was 12 out of GW Basic, it's not really a chatbot. A true chatbot and the ones I've seen that I really, really enjoy are ones that have really strong natural language processing capabilities where you can have a conversation with it, uh, almost as if you're talking with a human, and, and then it can respond and perform multiple actions. And, and so I, this is really what I look for in my consumer tech, too. Uh, I'm a big Google Home fan. I've tried all the different systems. Of course, I have Alexa as well. Uh, I've got Google Home. I've got all these different systems. I've, I've used put Control 4 in my house. And uh, one of the things I particularly like about uh, Google Home is that I can speak to it rather naturally and then combine commands. I don't have to separate commands into separate line items. And so I can issue multiple orders in one sentence and it'll carry them out. And so that's really what I'm looking for when I look at chatbots. And we're going to talk about chatbots. We've actually built some really interesting chatbots, both independently through text messaging and um, a lot of the text message chatbots that I see on the market are, are interesting, but they're not exactly um, innovative, uh, right? It's it's uh, here's your options, pick an option, move on to the next option. You're almost faster going to a, a dedicated mobile app or a website at that point. Uh, but we are seeing some folks in the insurance space, uh, including some really uh, sophisticated carriers that are implementing chatbots uh, to answer questions about policies and to file claims and and really give them a natural language interface. There's some cool tech around voice chatbots. I've really been following Google Duplex pretty closely. And if you haven't checked it out, it, it was unveiled uh, almost a year ago. It was unveiled a while ago by Google as a as a natural language voice interface to do whatever you want. They, they're really driving bullet to use their assistant. And it was, it was interesting before I came down here to record this, I was reading a, a news story that restaurants that are getting phone calls from Google Duplex are starting to pick up on it and ignore them or hang up. They find it creepy. Their their response wasn't that it was bad. The response and why they hung up on these chatbots was that it was too good. It creeped them out that the robot uh, was as good uh, at speaking as a human would be. And this has been an interesting, there's been some interesting human backlash. So we're going to talk about that when we get the chatbots is, is that you know the human side of this? You know how will people feel about talking to or chatting with uh, robots? Uh, and there's there was some backlash the day after the Google Duplex announcement when it first came out from people saying that it was too realistic because Google actually included little nuance like mm-hmm, uh-huh, which really really convinced the listener. And so they've been identifying it as as Google. The only reason they know it's Google Robot because it self identifies, and then they get angry because it's too human-like, which is just a, I, I, I'll be honest, I would not have pegged that as being uh, a big response from a lot of people, but 
There you go. So we're going to talk about the human side. We're also going to talk about the technology behind chatbots, both voice and, voice and text, and where it can really be used and where it's really unnecessary. You can actually, and this is something I, I say a lot, both in, in the company and outside of it, you can efficiently suck. And, and a chatbot could, could legitimately help you efficiently suck. It could actually be a worse interaction for your customer uh, or, for you, or for your own employees. Artificial intelligence and chat, you almost have to talk about those in a similar breath. You know, true general AI uh, doesn't necessarily exist yet, right? Like, we, in, in fact, there's predictions that it won't exist for another 30 years or so. Uh, who knows? It depends on uh, who you talk to and and how they box in general AI. Like, uh, if you ever, if you're old school sci-fi like me and you saw 2001 A Space Odyssey and you remember how that was pretty close to general AI. I mean, you, you, have, a, you have a general use voice interface to, to talk and, and really it can think and reason and make decisions. Of course, it that went poorly in a little part of that movie. And there's other movies about that. I mean, science fiction likes to explore both the utopian and dystopian side of potential technology. AI, though, when we speak about it, and this is a really overused phrase right now in InsureTech. I'm seeing a lot of people talk about AI and only a few people actually using components uh, or specific forms of AI like NLP, natural language processing, image recognition. They're, they're actually using specific components. So we're going to be interviewing and talking to some people that are really using this in real life. It's not uh, people, if you, another great sci-fi reference, you know, Soylent Green. Soylent Green is made of people. A lot of AI is made of people. There are people that, that purport to be AI systems. I remember I, I signed up for, um, oh, I don't remember what it was. It was an AI assistant. I don't remember the name of it right now because it's been a couple of years. But uh, I, I found out after using this AI assistant, and, and sometimes it would be kind of laggy. Like it would take an hour for it to respond to me when it was setting appointments and, and doing things for me. Like I would, you know, I largely use this AI assistant for scheduling. And I found out that a significant portion of the interaction was actually being handled by uh, human beings in the Philippines or somewhere who were chatting um, through this robotic interface. And so you it really, it was AI-ish. Uh, and they were trying to train it and get better, but uh, it just wasn't game time yet. But you are seeing some specific form of AI that are able to perform tasks that normally require human intelligence, like visual perception, decision-making. Language translation's gotten way better. Last year, Microsoft announced they had they had um, peer, they had actually had peered a human translator for um, uh, English to Chinese. And so they had been able to produce a language translation bot that was able to rival uh, language translation. Now, this is a big deal. Uh, first off, let's just talk about language translation. There's entire companies, and I run into them at insurance conferences, whose whose entire business model is translating both voice and text for insurance claims. So that's a big win. Also, think about just the untapped, unstructured data in insurance that's out there. Uh, video cam footage, webcam footage, security cam footage, photos, videos, free text reports. There's just terabytes and terabytes and, of course, ultimately petabytes and exabytes um, of data that's never used, that's never accessed, that's never properly put into a system where you can search through it and utilize it. So that's what we're going to talk about when we get to AI. And uh, it, it, it's exciting. And, and then you you kind of jump into robotics. And, you know, a lot of times when we think of robotics, we think of Boston Dynamics and the creepy dog robot uh, if you don't, if you don't know him uh, from the other podcasts I do, uh, Jim is our our technical producer here, and, and he he hates he really hates the robot dog because it's got like a snake head on it and it creeps him out every time, and so he always cringes every time I talk about the robot dog with the snake head. But that's Boston Dynamics. That's a actual physical machine robot 
that is able to make its own decision, navigate 3D map an area. You can think for insurance claims, it's going to be brilliant to be able to send a robot into a potentially dangerous building that might be unstable and you're trying to do a condition assessment for a claim. There's, you're definitely going to have the option to use robots, um, in particular autonomous robots that can make decisions to walk around and scan the building and come back out and report to you. But a lot of time, the, the most common robot we're seeing is is software RPA. That's robotic process automation. It's a, it's a form of like clerical process automation, and it's when you're using software robots to to perform tasks. And so you'll you'll train it, you'll tell it what to do, and then it re- repeats it over and over and over again. It extracts data out of systems. This is really good for extracting data out of old legacy systems that don't have a great API. Because I mean, let's be honest: if you had a an application programmer's interface, if you had a way to directly integrate with a, a software program, you wouldn't use an RPA bot, all right? I mean, that's that's silly. If you don't understand any of the words coming out of my mouth right now, I recognize I just geeked out a little bit, but RPA is a common topic. And, we're, and I'm hearing senior level, C-level executives at insurance companies talk about RPA regularly because they recognize that it can eliminate all this mundane, menial work that is such a drag on uh, productivity and on morale and allow them to elevate the human workers. Uh, we use a system at JB Knowledge called EOS, uh, Entrepreneurial Operating System. It's a way of running a business, not a software product, it's a methodology. And they have a tool there called the Delegate and Elevate chart. And that's, uh, whenever I think of RPA, I think of Delegate and Elevate. You you are picking the things you don't like doing or hate doing, and you're not good, in, good at or you're really bad at. And, and you're saying, look, I want to delegate all this menial stuff, all this stuff I don't like, down to all this repetitive task work, down to a RPA bot. And you, you can use UiPath or you can use like Selenium for testing, where you can repeat the same process over and over and over and over again. So a human being doesn't have to, and it can be really effective and really consistent, and it can make a big difference. We're seeing our clients and others in the space have a huge impact. So we're going to we're gonna talk to some RPA folks. We're going to bring some of our RPA folks in, and we're going to talk about robotics and RPA because there's really a space in both areas to have a pretty substantive discussion, uh, both in hardware robots that you can use for underwriting and for claims, and you can use... Uh, them in, in all kinds of you know, loss control. There's all kinds of great ways you can use robots, but also software RPA. Really neat stuff coming out. Telematics and wearables. Uh, this is common. You know, it's it's interesting. We really saw this hit the consumer market probably most heavily in the auto insurance space when they started rolling out these OBD2 port. If you didn't know that little port under your steering wheel is called your OBD2 port. We saw them roll out dongles uh, for the OBD2 port, and uh, then those dongles have cell cards that report your driving behavior. It was kind of the beginning of mass consumerization of, of telematics. And then, and then, of course, you know the Apple Watch and uh, Samsung Gear, of course, the Apple Watch is still in the lead on, uh, on market share, uh, have really changed the game on people wearing computers. And so you're looking at personal wearables and then um, you know telematics for vehicular, road transport, electric, you know, electrical engineering, sensors, wireless comm, computer science. There's a lot. There's a lot to telematics, and that phrase is really broad. But when when I'm talking about telematics, I'm I'm really talking about connecting mechanical and electrical um, objects, and uh, then buildings up to uh, sensor networks, and giving the ability to to read data off, and uh, potentially even influence settings and uh, things on that on that device. Um, there's there's interesting consequences that there's insurance companies that have rolled out and said, hey, if you use this OBD2 port 
device for a period of, of three or four months so we can measure your driving habits. Just putting it in there and being monitored, you get 10% savings. And if you are a good driver, you can get more than that. So that's kind of a carrot and a stick. Uh, well, it's really not much of a stick, but carrot and a carrot uh, methodology to get people to, to, to allow themselves to be tracked. But let's be honest, how many consumers legitimately want their insurance company to know everywhere they go in their car and how they drive? Because a lot of people don't really drive like angels and they don't want to know that they they gas the vehicle all the time. They've been lying about how many miles they drive uh, on all their insurance applications. So we're going to talk about the implications, both social implications and technology and telematics and wearables. Uh, there's much more attractive wearables now that do really amazing stuff uh, from uh, detecting your heart rate to looking at your, uh, your skin temperature to uh, your motion activity. It's really, really neat. You can also see if you're an AFib now on the new uh, Apple Watch. That's pretty cool. So we're going to talk about telematics and wearables, and we're going to deep dive into how we think this could really be a game changer and, and stop it'll help us to stop guessing so much on what these insureds are doing and then start making more calculated decisions. So uh, interesting stuff on telematics and wearables. Also going to talk about exchanging data. This has really been something that I've spent the last decade and a half doing a whole lot of, and that is just exchanging data between all the different players in the insurance space. Believe it or not, everybody has a lot of proprietary databases or they have their big enterprise databases, and they don't have simple, easy-to-understand APIs. They don't have a lot of documentation. Uh, I remember going uh, to one insurance company and have them talking about the Series 900 file and the Series 1200 file. It ended up being that was the, that was the byte length of the file, and it was a fixed delimited width text file, which is a very, very, very old way of storing and transmitting files. It's very error prone. And uh, it, it, th those systems still exist. So, do, you know, CSV transfers, a lot of people in the insurance space that connect applications together by exporting into Excel or CSV or Lord help us even flat fixed width files and then transfer those files around. And so it, it, this is in a time when Insurance carriers and uh, insurance commissioners and owners and insureds are getting much more savvy and they want a lot more data. So we're seeing a order of magnitude more data flowing between all the different players, whether it's brokers or carriers uh, or their uh, claims administrators. They're, there's just a lot more information flowing back and forth because everybody needs to make better decisions. And they're starting to get analytical tools that let them make better decisions if they have data. Uh, and of course, there's a, there's this big thing in the insurance business for takeover data when you when you change from one carrier to another and you're trying to transfer historical information. It's complicated. So we're going to talk about how people are doing this with portals. We're talking about how they're you know this kind of old school EDI and what's new, what's really new school. And then of course you can't talk about this without talking about blockchain. That's right. Blockchain's got to be discussed when you're talking about this. And there's some big implications for blockchain. Blockchain's the underlying technology behind Bitcoin. We're not going to talk about Bitcoin. Uh, there was just another Bitcoin heist as well, if you didn't know that. I'm waiting for a movie to be made about Bitcoin heists. What they're going to call it, Bit Heist. Uh, either way, blockchain is a fascinating concept. It's fascinating in execution, and it's delivering real value in a lot of industries. Decentralized, distributed, public, immutable, digital ledger. It could be, uh, it could be really big or it could be really bad. And, and, and I think it's going to be, a, uh, there's a lot more good in this than bad. What's where it's really going to most likely expose is people who have been covering up specific aspects of transit and transactions 
and uh, definitely don't want activity posted to a public blockchain. And so there's a lot of room for improvement here. And there's definitely some things to do with blockchain. And I'm, I'm excited about it. Also going to talk about uh, one of my favorite topics, drones. I'm a, I'm a commercial drone pilot, love flying uh, drones. I'm also a, a private pilot, love flying airplanes. I just love flying things, love being flying in things, love flying things. Uh, they're, they're incredibly enjoyable and they deliver a lot of value. And drones do too. Um, drones are already being heavily utilized in the insurance sector, in the construction sector, um, in the industrial sector. There's a lot of industries that are jumping on board in particular because the capabilities are so incredible and the prices are so low. So we'll be talking about drones. We're going to interview some folks in the drone space and some of my old friends there. We've been testing drone software for years. And so we'll talk about some of our favorite apps and how they can impact construction. We'll talk about drone deploy. We'll talk about Skycats, we'll talk about uh, Pix4D, we'll go through all those. And there's some really neat consequences and implications there for what they what they do in the space. More than any of this, I, I really want all of you to, to think about uh, something that Peter Diamandis uh, calls abundant, abundant thinking. It's an abundant future. Because it impacts, it'll impact this whole podcast, it impacts everything that I look at, it impacts how I approach and look at uh, the world and technology and innovation. There's a significant number of people whose livelihood depends on pushing the negativity agenda, whether it's uh, mass media outlets like the Constant Negative News Network, uh, or whether it's uh, online sites, or whether it's people that have formed nonprofits that are really there to fearmonger and drive uh, donations into whatever causes they're trying to scare you into giving money to. There's a lot of people who would have you believe that we, we have a, a scarce future, that if you win, they must lose. They believe in a zero-sum game. And, and I just don't buy that theology. I don't buy that methodology of living. I believe, uh, as, does, as does Peter Diamandis, that we have a very abundant future, that this is arguably the best time, statistically speaking, to be alive. Longest average life expectancy, the the uh, best quality of life, the least number of working hours uh, ever per week, uh, the most vacation time that humans have ever had, the most disposable income, lowest percentage of people that are um, in extreme poverty, uh, literacy rates up above 90%. I mean, there's just so much to look at and go, wow, technology and innovation has had a massive impact on the world and life is significantly better. And so as you're listening to this and you're looking at the technology and topics we talk about, I want you to think abundantly. I want you to think abundantly because abundance thinking and looking at how good everything is, how much better it's getting, shapes how you innovate in your own company and in your life. So have some abundant thinking. We'll be talking about that too. It's an important topic. The way you approach innovation, the way you approach change, impacts everything that you do in your life, whether it's work or play or anything else. So that's what we're going to be covering in this podcast. I hope you'll continue to join me. I hope you'll hang out with us. Uh, we're going to have some great, great interviewees. I've already lined up a few that are coming up uh, in, uh, in coming weeks that you can go and check out. Uh, we're going to have some great topical discussions with our own research team. Again, I, I kind of laid out a lot of the different topics we're going to touch on over the next year. But the InsureTech Geek podcast is really going to be all about uh, helping you understand what's going on in the space, helping you speak intelligently about it, and, uh, and hopefully connecting you with people and players that are doing real, real, real innovation work. Not 
marketing lip service innovation, but the, the innovation that counts. So that's all we've got for this week. I appreciate you listening in. Thanks for joining me. Don't forget the Ensure Tech Geek podcast powered by JB Knowledge. That's jbknowledge.com. is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham. That's at jamesbenham.com. Please join us next week as we interview more guests and go into more deep dives into technology we see changing the insurance industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next week. Thank you.